It was blood or it was mud. One or the other. I couldn't be sure which. Both had been a motif in my life the past few days, and both were a dark brown when dry. But the world had gone mad. It was spinning out of control, and I was determined to slow it down. I was going to start with this little brown spot on my coat. The last twenty-four hours had seen me attacked by the man I was hired to find, tied to my own bed, and forcibly injected with a drug that was not only incredibly dangerous, but also my only real clue as to what the hell was happening. This experience, of course, led me to the home of my client and one-time paramour, Nicole Faure. The following event where I watched the one and only love of my life murdered for absolutely no reason by Pierre Dupont. And because enough is never enough in the incredible, inscrutable life of Daniel Ransom P.I., I was subsequently dragooned at gunpoint into indentured servitude to the very man who killed her. So, not to put too fine a point on it, but I'd had better days. In the beginning, I was hired to find Nicole's brother, Alexander, and the drugs he had shoved into my veins were still playing merry hell with my head. Reality was bleeding into something else, something even worse, and I was seeing things, horrible things, with teeth and claws and brimstone, came from all corners. Living shadows crept around the fallen body of Nicole, my client and my only love, and devoured her still warm, still beautiful corpse right before my eyes. The whole world felt like it was crashing in through my eyes, my nose, and my ears. Everything was a jumble of pain, demons, and delusion. But... If nothing else, I was determined to make some sense of this stain on my trench coat. Looking at the thing, studying it with my eyes, wasn't going to sort this one out that much had become abundantly clear. I ran my fingers back and forth over it slowly with varying pressures. But they told me nothing either. I gave it a sniff. Nothing. It just smelled like a sweat and cotton. With a quick flick of my tongue, I gave the spot a little lick and quickly spat out the window of the motor car as it rambled down a dirt road, somewhere between where we had left and where we were going. Manon looked at me like I had lost my mind, which, to be completely fair, I almost certainly had. It was mud, I told him, satisfied that I had explained myself fully and not really giving a damn if he didn't agree. If Manon had complained or called me names or so much as grunted, it would have been the most he had spoken since we sputtered out of Paris hours ago. Or maybe it was minutes. I had no idea. Time was completely lost to me. The car was my prison cell for the moment, and Manon one of my jailers, he rode next to me in the back seat and was either mute or the most boring man I'd ever seen, or both. Handicaps and ennui are not mutually exclusive.
especially in France. My other jailer, Badel, drove us and at least had the decency to scream at me to shut up whenever I spoke. His vocabulary was limited, it must be said, but his volume was remarkable. In another life and another time, I imagined he could have made quite a name for himself on the stage of the Palais Garnier, the home of the Paris Opera. They work for Pierre Dupont, I had painfully discovered hours ago, and on that long southward drive whenever the world went too mad, when the shadows were all that I could see, when even staring at spots on my coat wasn't enough, I used the thought of him to pull myself inward and provide a brief moment of clarity. I arrived in Paris in 1938,